Episode 8, Jamie V. Parker, Process Plus Results Consulting. I am a recovering command and control manager. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. Thanks for listening. And now on with the show. And we're joined today by Jamie V. Parker. She is the founder of her firm Process Plus Results. She's a number of things, um, depending on the moment, right, Janie? Trainer, uh, speaker, coach, consultant, author. She uh, has written a chapter in uh, an anthology book that I created and edited called Practicing Lean. So a great contribution to that book. And she has a new podcast called Lean Leadership for Ops Managers. Uh, So Jamie, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. And we'll have a chance to talk about some of um, your projects, uh, including that that new podcast. But we always like to jump right in with guests. So when you reflect on it, what would you say is your favorite mistake, Jamie? So my favorite mistake, let's say so far, is actually a time when I made some poor choices in how I was leading a plant manager. So a little bit of background, (laughs) I am a recovering command and control manager. Hmm. Um, I grew up in the days of just really command and control, authoritarian, it was bad. It was lawsuits and complaints, right? Like those confidential alert lines, it was pretty rough. And starting in 2011, I really went through, began this leadership transformation for myself. And, um, you know, something that I was really proud of because I was making big changes in how I showed up as a leader and really who I was as a person. So this whole thing happened about five years into that transformation. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't that old command and control person anymore. Um, I had started making a lot of changes. Mm -hmm. And I had taken over a new territory. So I had this new team of plant managers. They weren't a new team. They were just new to me. And one plant manager in particular, I was really struggling with. Um, I just, the progress was so slow and the execution was so slow. And here we were a year later, right? He'd been on my team. I was his direct supervisor for a year and it was still just not working. I was beyond frustrated, uh, almost to the point of anger. Mm. And he was frustrated too. He actually told me on that visit about a year into this that he said, Jamie, you know what? I can't sleep before you visit my plant because I just have so much anxiety. Because, you know, it was a, I was running plants across the country. I would only go there every couple of months. And he said, you know, I just have so much anxiety about you being here. Uh, So it was not a good situation. That's not what you were wanting to hear. Not at all. Not at all. And, you know, I was, you know, of course that didn't, that didn't work for me at the same time. Like we have a job to do, you know, we've got to get work done. And this, this snail's pace business is just not working for me either. 
So I was banging my head against the wall. I don't know what to do. And I called a colleague, someone who knows both of us, right? So they've got these insights into both of our personalities and histories. Mm -hmm. And I walked him through what was going on. He was asking a bunch of questions, doing all that good listening stuff. And then he summarized and he said, all right, so Jamie, so it sounds like you are not happy with the progress and that, you know, every time you visit, you're giving him more and more work that he needs to get fixed because it's not fixing at a, at a rate that you're expecting. And you're scared to ease off a little bit. You're scared to, to maybe scale back because you think that if you scale back, the pace is going to go even slower. Mm. But if you don't keep you know, just really hammering things in with him, that then you're not going to get any progress at all. And I said, yes, confidently. Yes, you're right. That's it. Right. And that's when he asked the question that changed everything. He said, how's that working for you so far? It was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) it's in that moment that I realized, you know, I was doing this whole definition of insanity thing, right? I was continuing along this path, this path that was working in all of these other relationships and expecting that something was going to change just because more time passed. And so that really was, I guess, the lesson I needed to hear in that moment, that question to realize, you know what, let me take a different approach. So I immediately, I was like, all right, I'm going to change this. And when I went on plant visits, I would still see all the things (laughs) that would drive me crazy. And when I, you know, step away, I would write them all down because I'm like, oh my goodness, this is so bad. Mm -hmm. Um, But I started to bite my tongue a little bit and not say as much or call out as much as I might have in, in the past. And I started making sure I was giving a little bit more positive reinforcement for the progress that was being made. Even when I, I still maybe wasn't happy with the speed and the pace of it. And when I did my closeout at the end of the visit, I went through this, this list, right. Of all the things. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to share really two priorities. Just going to share these two priorities. And so I left with that a couple of weeks later, you know, we're talking every week. I'm talking to this plant manager. He said, you know, Jamie, that was the best plant visit we've ever had. (laughs) That was great. And I went back two weeks or two months later after that visit, right? Every two months. And I went back. It was amazing. Night and day, the, the, just the amount of stuff that they had done, the work that they were trying, the, you know, the problems they were tackling, just that, just that shift in how I was showing up for him mm-hmm. changed everything. And it was something that I was so resistant to do until my colleague kind of challenged me with that question. How's that working for you so far? Yeah. Wow. So it's a great story. And there's, I mean, I think there's a couple of different layers of that that we can unpack. Um, you know, one is, I mean, the one thing that came through and um, tell me if I'm summarizing this correctly or not, is that you, you kind of shifted in, in the approach from saying everything that was wrong, the laundry list of all the things that were not up to standard or things you wanted to fix, and instead saying, hey, here are the two top priorities. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. And, and so what, what did he elaborate on why? I mean, I guess I, I could guess. Um, but why, why did he say that was more helpful to, to have that focus and to only hear about two things? So the really interesting thing when I, when I kind of sat back and, and did this reflection, why is this working differently, is that he never didn't know. 
right? So me pointing things out, the, the challenge wasn't that he didn't see them. He knew all of that stuff. There, He just felt overwhelmed. He felt like, gosh, there's too much to tackle. He felt like maybe I don't actually agree with some of this, right? You know, I know this is a company priority, but I've been doing this a long time and I think my way is better, right? So, so the issue wasn't that he didn't see it. So me bringing it to his attention wasn't helping the situation. Right. And so this, by, by just really kind of prioritizing, it allowed him to kind of feel confident about what would make a difference. So he wasn't afraid of, will I disappoint? Will I do all this work? And then it doesn't get noticed because there's this other thing that takes attention away. Right. Yeah. And so, so that's how he was able to respond differently and not just work on those two priorities, but work on all of these other things too, because he saw them to begin with. He just, he needed some of that um, confidence and that kind of some of that fear to be taken away so that, so that he could feel like, okay, I'm on the right path. That's what was missing. And then, um, you know, think of the power of a coach having, and, and I'm sure this person, this colleague wasn't officially coaching, but maybe in the moment they were coaching where they had the benefit of being a bit of an, an observer to the situation and asking that question, I think, is that a Dr. Phil question? I guess it maybe depends on the accent and the tone. How's that working out for you? <laughs> the variation of that question, but that can be a wake-up call at times, right? Absolutely, yeah. And so definitely this person, this colleague that I called was not in any sort of formal coach role, um, but it was a third party. It was somebody who could listen and he was using some good listening skills. He was asking good open questions. He was kind of sharing back. So I think I heard, right? He was doing using those skills that we that we teach, you know, folks to do when they're coaching and being able to get, get outside of my head. Because, you know, one of the, you know, of course there was that immediate lesson that I learned. One of the leadership lessons is that I had actually grown a little too cocky. I was a little too egotistical about all of this leadership progress that I had made and forgot that I need to continue to grow, right? Like because things were going so well in all of these other relationships and I was getting great positive feedback from all the other folks on my team, I kind of saw it as like, well, he's the problem. You know, he had a problem with his last boss too. He's the issue, not me. And so realizing like, it doesn't matter how long we've been leading teams, we can always continue to improve and grow and learn and get better. So that was also one of these pieces that I think that that third party question helped. And it it seems like, you know, it's one of those situations where then breaking that cycle of, of frustration or shame or overwhelm or whatever Um, that one plant manager was feeling, acting differently in your role as a leader helped change those dynamics to try to get some different, better, better results. And then, you know, um, know, one of the themes, you know, we talk about here on my favorite mistake is then applying those lessons to, to future situations. Can you think of ways either directly or indirectly where that lesson has stayed with you to maybe, you know, head off um, a similar situation? Yeah, absolutely. I actually have adopted that question. How's that working for you so far? Uh, To be a provocative question that I use, I will, you know, sometimes use it with clients, but I really do use it a lot with self-management. And so, you know, there are times when I may want a different outcome 
than I'm getting, but I'm feeling afraid or I'm not taking action or, you know, whatever's happening, I'm resistant in some way. And I found that this, this question in particular, and you know, there are other questions as well, but this one has been added to my kind of list of when I am struggling with a bias for action, I'm unhappy with an outcome, but I'm, and I have tasks that I could do, right. I've identified here are some actions I could take some experiments I could run. And yet I'm not following through on them. Mm-hmm. Then this is one way that I use for self-management. And then also, you know, with clients too, sometimes, because we all get into the space. Yeah. And we could all use a coach because sometimes we just don't see what's happening when we're in the middle of it. And, um, I, I, you know, I think back also when you talk about, um, the role of, of coach and, and, you know, when I'm working as a consultant or a coach, I'm in a similar situation where, um, you may know what the answer is, but that doesn't mean that being technically correct leads mm-hmm. to others um, accepting that something is a problem to begin with or accepting that your quote unquote correct solution um, is, is going to be acceptable to them. You know, in recent years I've studied, I'm by no means an expert, but there's a branch of counseling um, from like, you know, a clinical realm called motivational interviewing. And one of the things they talk about in that approach is that I think what you were doing and what I've been guilty of is falling into something called the writing reflex is R-I-G-H-T, writing, Mm. that it's human nature to say, that's wrong. You should do this. I think, especially when we're in a position of formal um, authority, but then, so it's natural to do that. So I think it kind of goes along the lines of not beating ourselves up for mistakes. And if this writing reflex is sort of innate human nature, like we can be aware of it instead of um, blaming ourselves for it. And then there's that natural human reaction that we often might call pushback. Like I was right. I told them what to do and they pushed yes. back. That's also <laughs> not surprising human behavior, right? What do, what do yeah. you thoughts on some of that? Absolutely. And I think, you know, that writing thing, when I think about this conversation I was having with my colleague is when he, when he kind of did that summary, you know, now when I tell this story, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I was so confident in my yes, exactly. Right. Like, yes, you nailed it because now that I'm removed and now that I've seen it or, you know, in a different space, I'm like, oh my gosh, that doesn't sound very good. (laughs) Right. And I think that I, so I think there's definitely some of that happening. And this colleague absolutely could have said, Hey, Jamie, here's what I think you should do. And I would have said, no way, no way. I'm not doing that. His writing reflex could have kicked in. Yeah. But instead he, you know, he listened, he summarized and he asked that, that really good question there Mm -hmm. that made me think. And now all of a sudden it was easy. It was in a split second. Like, I think I laughed, you know, in that uncomfortable laugh, but it was in that split second. I'm like, I'm making a change. I'm doing this differently. And up until that moment, I would have never considered taking that action. I would have said, no, there's too much risk. There's, that's not, that's going soft. That's too soft, right? We got to hold people to standards. And, and it really was, it was in that instant, but if he had said, Hey, I think you should try this. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done it. I would have pushed back and I would not have had a bias for action. Yeah. And it seems like he asked a question that sparked your, your own thinking and reflection when then you could then figure out, I'm going to try something different and see if I get different, better results. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Because once he asked that and I thought about it, I'm like, okay, there's really no downside, right? (laughs) Like I'm holding on to this, of you know, creating this potential fear or risk that like, it really, you know what, there's really not a downside for trying something different here. And it's definitely not going to get better if I keep doing what I've been doing for the last year. Yeah. Well, then the final thing I wanted to, um, if we're if we're peeling back the onion, we're getting pretty close to the core of the onion. But early on, you used a phrase, um, you know, command and control, leadership style. And, you know, you talked about, even before the context of the story, that you were, you were already working to change those behaviors. And, and I'm sure there were some habits that got ingrained. You know, so can you think back, like, you know, uh, when, when you entered the workplace, how was that command and control style sort of imprinted upon you in the workplace? Yeah, you know, I mean, it was um, it was what was what I was seeing, right? What how people were leading, and I could remember an instance as an example. So this is like very beginning. I'm 21, 22, <laughs> brand new in this workforce, and uh, the my manager at the time, um, we had a team member who was had some major kind of performance, not performance, like outcome, but um, things like showing up on time, right? Calling in if you're going to be absent, right? Fundamental things. And um, and this was in a company where, you know, it's a Fortune 100 company, lots of HR hoops to move through. Um, And my manager at the time was like, hey, I, you know, I really want him to quit. And so I want you to see me, see how this I do this. And so we, (laughs) I come into the office, I think it was like an assistant manager at the time. So I had some sort of potential reason to be there. And he's sitting across from this guy, sitting across the desk from this guy. And he starts the conversation. He says, this is one of those conversations where I talk and you listen. Oh boy. (laughs) Right. Well, I then used that when I became a manager and I started running my plant or my locations, my stores, right? Because I like, that's what I saw this. Hey, this is a teaching moment. And I did things like Friday afternoon, 5 p.m. conference calls. If you were read on the list or if you were in the bottom quartile of the list, right? And you had to take the call from your office, which meant you weren't getting home till at least 6.30 at night that's on a, a Friday. Punishment. Yeah, it was it was the incentive to get off the list. It was the incentive to, you know, get your performance up because I had sat in on those conference calls. I had been on them. And so then I started using them. Right. And so it's just those kinds of things over and over again. And, you know, like that's if that's what you experience, that's what you understand it to be. Right. I think that's how corporate culture propagates. As people mm-hmm. are taught how to manage. And sadly, I mean, uh, when I started my career at General Motors in 1995, I saw a lot of behavior from leaders similar to what you were describing um, and, and, and maybe worse. Um, and, you know, thankfully, I worked with um, a second plant manager. The first plant manager is that very traditional command and control, yelling, screaming, blaming, mm-hmm. punishing kind of leader. And then the second plant manager, thankfully, had um, had the opportunity to go through that type of transformation in leadership styles because of um, getting to learn from Toyota, mm-hmm. working for them in the, the joint venture GM um, Toyota plant. So, um, you know, it goes to show how important leader, you know, when, when leaders lead by example, whether they're consciously mm-hmm. doing so or not. Yes. And, 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 that, and that maybe applies, you know, I come back to now more of the current day and some of the coaching work that you do, 
um, in, in helping organizations transform? What, what are your thoughts on you know, trying to help coach and shift executive leaders so that their change in behavior hopefully uh, cascades? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, one of the things that I hear a lot in the um, continuous improvement space is I hear a lot about, you know, well, these managers and these execs, they, they care about profit over people and they just don't care. And what I find is that, yeah, sometimes that's the case. Usually that's not the case. Usually they do care about people. They do care about improvement. They just don't know how, right? They, they've got these competing demands, you know, they've got to deliver results for shareholders or, um, you know, just, just, you know, if we're going to sustain the long-term economic viability of the organization and contribute to our local economy. And so there's this pressure and they just don't know how to get both. They don't know know how to do it. And particularly like, even if they believe, I know in the long run, this will work, but in the short term, I've got to deliver for my customers. Like today I've got to get work out for customers. And so, um, so really that's kind of the work that I do is, is helping from the beliefs perspective, Mm -hmm. right? What do I believe? What do I think? What are my values, the behaviors, the skills, and then also the systems, how can we make it easier to do these things and to make these things um, happen on a consistent basis. Yeah. So there's a lot of opportunities um, for both or for plus. So that's where the name of your firm process plus results. It's not process or. That's right. So can yes. you talk about how those two things work together, process plus results? Yeah, absolutely. Um, because I think that I've seen folks kind of swing the pendulum all the way over to process and kind of lose sight of how process delivers results. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, we want to look at our processes because that's what's going to help us, uh, you know, generate consistency and sustainably over time. Um, but we don't do it in a vacuum. <laughs> we understand that our, we are here to create value and to uh, enhance and enrich and create more value. And what are the ways that, you know, what do we need to achieve in order to do that? Mm-hmm. And then let's be more targeted. So it's, yes, I, you know, I'm all about, hey, let's do some two-second and lean or daily improvements or things where team members get to be engaged. But let's not just do that. Let's also mm-hmm. look and be targeted what, what does your organization need right now? And when we go and work on leadership development, we're not going to do it in a vacuum. We're not going to say, hey, let's go, you know, take the leadership development class off the shelf. We're going to do it specifically within the context of impacting those results. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so you can find um, Jamie's website and learn more about her work at processplusresults.com. And that's all spelled out, not, not a plus sign, but the words processplusresults.com. And then um, one of those new initiatives, you know, I want to make sure podcast listeners learn about a new podcast. Um, if you can uh, share, Jamie, um, Lean Leadership for Ops Managers, what the theme is, what the focus is, um, what makes your podcast unique. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm super excited about this podcast. So it's called Lean Leadership for Ops Managers, which means we're talking about lean leadership for ops managers. And the reason, and really kind of anything from that team lead to supervisor to manager to director, right? The people that are really in it every day. And, um, you know, I'm doing this because I have a special place in my heart for those folks. Uh, you know, if we think about the impact that our operations leaders have, they generally are interacting with the most amount of people 
every day, team members every day, day in and day out, right? The people who are creating the value through product or service. And oftentimes, uh, these folks are the least invested in, right? So the executive might have an executive coach. Um, the senior director might be able to go to conferences and workshops, but the team lead, the supervisor, the uh, plant manager or value stream manager is often um, not getting that development. And so this is a way for me to serve. It's super short. Typically an episode is around 15 minutes or so because I'm looking for what's one, one lesson that you can apply, one next step you can apply. And um, we're gonna, there's a little bit of the technical of lean, but a lot of it is the people side of it. So not so much the technical side of, you know, your gimbal walk and what is your frequency? And what is, you know, like the agenda, but how do you interact with people the way that my colleague did to have an aha moment for me? How do you bring that into your gimbal walks and your daily startup meetings and your one-on-ones and all of the things that are happening in your work as you lead your teams? Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, I hope people will check that out. Again, Lean Leadership for Ops Managers. Our guest has been Jamie V. Parker. If you're watching on YouTube, you see the book over her shoulder on the bookshelf, and I'll fold it up here on this book, Practicing Lean. You can uh, find it on Amazon. You can go also to practicinglean.com. And Jamie, I don't know if you know the latest, but since we've been donating all of the royalties from the book and the audio book, you can find it on Audible. Um, last month, we, we just hit the $5,000 threshold that's been donated um, to the Louise Bats Patient Safety Foundation. So Jamie, thank you for your contribution to the book and to the effort and um, to this cause. So thank you again for that. And thank you for being a guest here on the podcast. Thanks, Mark. I really enjoyed it. Me too. Thanks. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to pause and think about your own favorite mistake and how learning from mistakes shapes you personally and professionally. If you're a leader, what can you do to create a culture where it's safe for colleagues to talk openly about mistakes in the spirit of learning? Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. See you next time.